It is great to have you here. We're trusting the Lord to, to build his church. And we want the Lord to build his church with the saving of souls. We want to see souls saved. I thought this afternoon about how many people have gone into eternity today around our area without, without Jesus. And we, live, we serve in a world that is becoming more dark, more dark and more wicked. And so the, the light's going to shine brighter. We have a gospel to proclaim. Whosoever will may come and may drink of the waters of life freely. Tonight I want to share with you the Word of God. You know, the Word of God can change your life. The, this, this will determine, thank you, Tori, this, will, this really determines whether you're a strong Christian or not. Not because you sing loud, and singing is wonderful. I love these songs tonight. Thank these ladies for helping us and, and uh, serving us in this aspect of worship. But this makes you strong right here. If you don't know the Word of God, you're not a strong Christian. If you don't know the Word of God, you're a very vulnerable Christian. Every Christian, if you've been serving the Lord for any length of time at all, any, any modicum of time at all, then you, you need to know the Word of God, have, have a you know, framework of understanding. But as we walk in our Christian journey toward heaven, that high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that heavenward call, we should be growing in the Word of God. That's why church is so vital, that you need to hear weekly Weekly, you need to hear someone who's been called by God to open the scripture to you. You hear that? That's the number one. You got to make sure your ministers are called of God. Not, not anybody just say, hey, ego, you know, I, I get tired of those Bible studies. It's not one of them things. What does this mean to you? Kind of kind of round robin thing. What does this mean to you? That's irrelevant. What does it mean is what we need to find out. Not what does it mean to you? What does it mean? And so I want our church to love the word of God. I want us to just, just hunger after the Word of God, and, and we have to be disciplined listeners. Can I hear an amen? We need to be disciplined listeners. And that Jesus said, hear, be careful how you hear. And then he said, be careful what you hear. So how are you going to hear the Word of God tonight? There's going to be things distracting you. You're going to think about the bill you need to pay. You're going to think about your boss yelling at you today. You're going to think about what you need to do tomorrow. You're going to think about the groceries. All this stuff is trying to rob the truth of the Word of God. So let's hear the Word of the Lord. Father, we just ask that you would anoint your servants tonight as we come under your government. This is your government. This is your word. We ask that you would speak to every heart. There's something in this message for everyone. And we ask, O oh God, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, the message title is Running to Win or Run to Win. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. As you're turning there, this will be on the screen. I actually have uh, the new American Standard. You can put the New King James if you don't have the other translations. It's very close, both formal equivalent. I don't want to confuse anyone. It's just what I studied out of, and I did not tell them, but it's, it is the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Notice what Paul says. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run? Now, look at me before I read on. Every Christian is a runner. You're running a race tonight. If you have started the race, and the race starts at the moment a person comes to conversion, the moment a person is born again, it's the on your mark, get set, go. So if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, 
your race has begun. And in this race, all the runners run. In any race, all the runners run. But in this race, only the Christians run. Those people in the world, they're not running this race. But every child of God is running the race. So we're going to talk about this race. But more particularly tonight, we're going to talk about how to run effectively in the race. Let's read on. Verse 15. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable crown. But we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way. Notice, I run in such a way. Not, uh, as, uh, as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. It's not shadow boxing. But I, notice, I discipline my body. I dis- one translation, I keep it under. I discipline my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified or cast away. Running to win. We're in a series we've titled The Corinthian Crisis, Paul's Word to a wayward church. We may, we may be in this book a year. I've already preached. This is the 21st message teaching that I've taught on this. We may be in, I started last July. I think it was last June. The end, last June, last July. So I never, uh, I didn't intend to go this long, but I feel it's what we need. Now Paul here is talking about sports. He's really talking about the Christian sport, the Christian race. And in any race, you know, to be effective and to win, there's a price to pay. To be effective in sport, there's a price that you pay. There's a, there's a discipline that you must bring yourself under if you're going to win. But I would say it this way because we're talking about a, the Christian race. And that's simply this tonight, that for a person to please Christ. Did you hear that? A person to please Christ in the race There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay to have a strong church. There's a price to pay to have an effective, close, intimate relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It doesn't come cheap. Paul, in this chapter 9, he's been talking, and we preach like, I think this may be the third message we preached out of this chapter. And Paul has been talking about self-denial. He's given really an illustration in his own life earlier, sacrifice and self-denial and how that fits into the Christian life. Now, that's vocabulary that's very foreign to our American culture today. I, I I don't want to sound negative, but it's the truth. We live in a very narcissistic culture now. It's incredible how selfish people are. And it's trickled down. It's affected the church greatly, greatly. So we need to learn how to run this race. We need to learn that sacrifice and self-denial to be effective and to run to win. As Paul said, run in such a way as that you may win. These principles, this principle of self-denial must be in our lives. Now, Paul's challenging us here about spiritual battles and a spiritual race. So we're going to talk about that. Here's the first thought tonight, and that's this. We're going to look at verse 24. We're going to look at our race. I want you to think about the race that you're running right now, our race. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, 
but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way as that you may win. So Paul is using sports. It's particularly running as to point out an aspect and a principle of our Christian lives. Sport was very important to the Grecian culture. Very important. But it doesn't compare to the American culture. We are, it is an idol today. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's an idol in our culture today. Whether it's basketball or baseball. I mean, I saw where one guy got 400 something million dollars to play baseball. 400, like 425 million dollars. Hope I didn't read it wrong. It may have been 42 million, but I think I had the decimal point right. I mean, it was 400 and something million dollars to throw a ball. So how can they pay him that much? Why isn't the church getting $424 million? Because people are, people are paying their money where their idols are. They're paying for their idols. And so they're funding that by people that worship that kind of thing there. But it was very important. Now, in, the, in Greece, there were four important competitions. Paul was very aware of this. The, the culture that he's preaching to in Corinth is very familiar with this. There was the Delphic Games, which are the, the Pythian Games. These were held every four years. And you know what you won? You won an apple wreath. That's what you won. I get, and I guess bragging right. Then there was the Isthmian Games, or what they call the Corinthian Games, and they won a, a wreath of pine. There was the Nemean Games, and they were celebrated every three years, and they received a crown of parsley. But then, of course... You know, in Greece, it's where the Olympic Games started. You know, an Olympiad is something that takes place every four years. And they would receive an, a, a wreath of olive leaves. But Paul's talking about another kind of race. He's illustrating the Christian life as a race. We find this in other parts of Scripture. We find it in Hebrews, where the writer is talking about a race. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, he's saying we're in a race. In other words, we're not spectators, we're not on the sidelines, but we are competitors. We're in the race, and, and our opponents are our own flesh. Our, our opponents are our own will, and our opponent is the devil and every wicked demon spirit. Hebrews 12 and 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Look at, listen to this. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It takes endurance. It takes effort when it's hard. I think, and forgive me if I'm sounding negative, it seems that many Christians are fueled off their emotions. They tithe when they feel like it. They go to church when they feel like it. They sing when they feel like it. They, when they feel like it, they'll read their Bible. When they feel like it, that has nothing to do with the Christian life. Our goal is complete obedience, however we feel. Feelings may come. Feelings may go. But we must run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us. Have you ever noticed when you were young, time seemed to go so slowly but you notice as you get older how swift time is going by. The Bible writers, the scriptures, the authors that the Lord used talked about this. James 4.14. He says here, yet you do not know that your life, what it will be like tomorrow. It's just as a vapor which appears for a little while and then 
vanishes away. Job 7 and 6 says, my days are swifter than a weaver shuttle. You ever seen a little weaver shuttle? As it, it goes up under the, the threads and it goes back as the, as the, 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 the shuttle, the we, it's doing the, the, the yarn and weaving it together. The shuttle, it's what the, the one doing the weaving, they throw the shuttle underneath. He said, that's my life. It's just, it's so swift. It's so quick. Job 14, 1, a man who is born of a woman is short-lived. King James says, a few days and full of trouble. Psalms 102, verse 3, my days have been consumed as smoke, just like smoke, just consumed. Our life is brief. Our life is like a race. And Paul says we need to run to win this race. When we think of running, we think of forward movement. Nobody runs backwards. We think of we think of fervency, running hard. We think of being in shape if we're going to run and be effective. And, and in our Christian lives, we, we think about in this connotation, we think of forward motion. We think of growth. The Bible warns us about not going back. The Bible warns us about not letting our love diminish, not letting our spirit, you know, serve the Lord with fervency. And, and, and like the Moles translation in Romans twelve eleven says, keep your heart at the boiling point. Keep your heart at the boiling point. You've got to keep the wood on. You've got you to stay in church. You've got you to be around those things that stir the spiritual fires of your heart. We're not called to run apathetically. We're not called to run lazily, but we're called to, to be fervent in serving the Lord. We would all say, agree, I think, that Paul is a champion. He ran with everything he had toward the finish line. He probably may be around 30 years old when he started serving the Lord. He had never run for the Lord. He was running against the Lord. He was fighting the Lord. But now when he met the Lord on the Damascus Road, he ran like no other that I've ever seen. I've read uh, 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 treatises on his life and thoughts about his life and what they thought where he lived, how he grew up. And I, I just, he thrills my heart. He's one of my heroes. Is he not yours? Paul ran with... With everything was in, within him. Two, two, uh, Philippians 2.16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I don't want us to run in vain. I don't want us to labor in vain. I want our, our race to count. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's attitude in running. He's pressing. He's not even doing the fast kind of funny walking they do in the Olympics, which I don't know why you'd ever want to do that. But um, he's running. And, and God has a course for each of us. God has a course for you. God has a race for you. And the way that we run to win is we run fulfilling the will of God. We run when we do what God has asked us to do. When we obey him, we're running well if we're running in obedience, running to honor him, running, serving him with our abilities, running, being a a positive attitude and faith for the church and other believers. That's running to win. We want to be that kind of church, don't we? Many years ago, a man by the name of Eric Liddell, they made a movie about his life. His, he was a, a son of a Scottish missionary to China. His father was James Liddell. Well, Eric, his son, they made a movie about him. You probably saw that. He was a committed child of God. He loved God. He loved the church. He would study the Bible. He would witness for Christ. He went off to college. 
and he got in athletics, he excelled in athletics, and he participated in the 1924 Olympics. His favorite race, his best race, was the 100 meters, or the 100-yard dash, I guess, then. But in the 1924 Olympics, the, the day that the, that meet was going to be held was on Sunday. It was on the Lord's Day. And he said, even though it's the Olympics, even though it's my best race and my favorite race, I don't do that on the Lord's Day because that's the Lord's Day. And he sacrificed for his principle, for his commitment to Jesus Christ, his Lord. And he didn't run. And that day was the day of worship for him. That day was the day of rest for him. And he gave up that glory to give the glory to God. A day or so later, the Olympics still going on, he ran in the 400 meter, which wasn't his best race. But he was good. it was a good race. He, someone sent him a little note and said, the word of God says that God honors those who honor him. I'm paraphrasing, but the Lord will honor those who honor him. And Eric Liddell goes down in history. Eric Liddell ran the 400 meters. Not only did he run it, but he broke the world record and had many doors open to him because of his firm commitment to Jesus Christ. So much or so little of that today. So little of that kind of deep commitment that you're willing to give up this world to put your Savior and your Lord first. What's happened in our world is we've, we've added Jesus to all of our stuff. We really haven't. He won't be added to anything. He will be Lord of all or not Lord at all. So there's this race that we run. Paul's talking about this. Everyone who runs in a race, all the runners run. Every child of God's running. It's not about if you're running. If you're a child of God and you're truly born again, you are running. The question is, how are you running? Are you and I running to win the race? Look at verse 25. This is not an easy race. There's, there's, this, there's rigors in this race. It says everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. You may want to under that, underscore that in your Bible. King James, or New King James, everyone who competes in the prize, temp, the word temperate, the better translation is self-control. Self-control. The word competes. One old translation says strives for masteries. It means to contend, to struggle with dangers and difficulties. You're striving against the opposition. And that really speaks to this, that, that running for Jesus Christ is not a playground, but it's a battleground. It's difficult to run. We know that everyone who is dedicated to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will face persecution from one time, one time or another. If you are a true child of God and you love the Lord, you're going to face difficulty. You have the enemy and, and those that don't love God will at times persecute you. Jude says this, that we must, he said, I, I felt it necessary to write to you that you must, here's a military term, contend for the faith that was earnestly, earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once and all handed down to you. So if we're going to run to win, it requires self-control to be exercised. Verse 25. Uh, look at down in verse 27 of our text. But I discipline my body 
and bring it into subjection, the New King James says, lest when I preach to others, I myself would be a castaway. I, I, I bring it in subjection. Now, the word discipline, this is a, this is a uh, there's, there is a strange translation, but it does get the meaning. It just sounds strange. I discipline my body, the scripture says. I, I bring it into self-control. And you know what it means? It means to beat yourself black and blue. And it literally can be translated to smite yourself under your eye, to give yourself a black eye. You know, and that's not what we do, but it, it's talking about self-discipline. The word subjection means rigid discipline. So what's Paul telling us? He's telling us if we're going to not just run anyway, but if we're going to run in a very specific way to win, to be effective Christians that please Jesus Christ, he said this, this principle must be in your Christian life. And the principle is not one that we like to talk about a lot, but it's self-control. Now, I want, to, want you to think about this. Way back about six months ago, we were in chapter 1. Chapter 1, or many months ago, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And you remember, the Corinthians started out the race. Remember it says, you remember it says, I write to you, you sanctified Christians in Corinth, sanctified, you're in Christ Jesus, the gifts were there, all the blessing of God was there, they started. But as we move through the book of Corinthians here, this first book, what we realize is that some of them started out right, but they're not running well right now. They're not dealing with sin in the church there's immorality among them. There's strife among them. They're not running to win. So Paul is bringing them back. He's dealing with some issues, and now he's bringing it together. He said, hey, this is what you have to do. If you're going to run to win as a church and the people of God, there's got to be self-discipline. So what does that mean? What's necessary to have self-discipline? So in other words, when I say that, what does it look like? Let me, let me suggest several things here. First of all, Self-discipline may involve you giving up something precious to you. It may involve surrendering something that is maybe a treasure in your heart. In the Exodus story, when the, the golden calf and all of this, the Lord said in Exodus 33, 5 and 6, the Lord, for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. They weren't running very well, were they? They, 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 ran, they ran circles in the desert. He said, I could come up unto the midst in a moment and consume you. I mean, these people are, these are God's covenant people coming out with blood, redemption, a type of Christ's blood. And now here they are. They barely got out of Egypt, barely crossed over the Red Sea. And here they are making this idol. And God says, I could come and destroy you in a moment. But he's saying this in a sense, if you want to run, if you want to serve me, if you want to run well, you got to strip off some treasures that you may hold dear. So he says, now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments by Mount Horeb. Sometimes to please God, there's some things that maybe are a treasure to us that we just have to strip off of ourselves, that strip away from our lives and say, I, I, I don't want that if it's going to hinder my relationship with God. And sometimes those things are not necessarily evil things. They may be good things that become an idol in our lives. Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus said, looking at him, loving him, loved him, said to him, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. And we know the rich young man went away because that money was a God in his heart and he could not let go of it. You see that self-discipline may involve setting aside something that's a treasure to you if it gets in the way of the Lord. Secondly, I would define it this way, that self-discipline involves maybe sacrificing to serve someone else's need. You hear that? Sacrificing maybe your time, maybe your life in some way, limiting your life so that someone else can be blessed. Sounds very much like our Savior, does it not? Who, though God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he laid aside those prerogatives so that he could become a man. Do you see the principle? The principle of self-denial and self-discipline. This is something that Jesus did. We read his story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 3, and we read that the prophet said to the widow lady, she said, do not fear. Do as, do as I have said. Make a little bread cake from it first. She had a little meal. And bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make it for yourself and your son. Here's the prophet of God, God's man, asking a little widow lady that has very little, almost nothing at all, saying to her, put God first in a sense. Put God first. We read in Ruth 2.11, says, Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after, after the death of your, of your husband has been fully reported. And how you left, notice, left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. So we see that this dear daughter-in-law had sacrificed for someone else, her mother-in-law. Now think about that. That's something we need to see more of in the kingdom of God in the church. And then thirdly, I would say this. I would define this self-discipline as this, that self-discipline also must involve exalting ourselves. Here, here's what Proverbs 25, 6 says. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men. Our old nature wants to be exalted. It's something our old self cries out for. We cry out for recognition. We cry out for that in our old flesh. Our world is built on this, this, this sense of building yourself up, promoting yourself, but it has no place in the kingdom of God. Only one should receive the glory, and his name is Jesus Christ. And one day, every knee shall bow. Come on, every, knee, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the glory of God. To him belongs the glory and the honor. We should never be lifting up ourselves. There should be a discipline that we're always giving honor to God, and we do not lift ourselves up. 27.2 of Proverbs, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We should not be incessantly talking about ourselves. Amen. We should not be the center of every conversation. We should listen, let others speak. Why? Because we don't praise ourselves. That is not the Holy Spirit. If you need a little recognition, God will speak to someone to say, oh, you bless me, you help me, etc." But don't do that yourselves. That is pride. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is not self-discipline. That's self-aggrandizement. Fourthly, I would say this. Self-discipline 
involves striving to keep yourself pure. We discipline our lives. An undisciplined life will one day be a sinful life. You hear that? An undisciplined life will one day end up being a self-indulgent life. That's a better word. Daniel said he would not defile himself with the king's meat. You remember, he decided to discipline himself and said, I'm not going to eat those delicacies. I'm going to eat a very sparse diet because this is what the Lord wants for me. What he, he limited himself in that. Galatians 5 and 24 says, now those who belong to Christ, listen, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and with his desires. Now listen, there's only one way to control a life, a human life, one way. And it's not, it's not necessarily self-discipline, but it's, I, I should add this, it's Holy Spirit empowered self-discipline. Flesh cannot control flesh. But we can be set free. We are, listen, we are set free at the very moment we receive Jesus Christ. Sin's power has been broken. Sin's penalty has been paid for. At that moment, we are free. But you know as well as I do, the flesh would love to come in and reassert itself. You read Romans 6. It says we have a choice. You do not need to serve the sin anymore, but you have a choice where you're going to listen to those dictates, or if we're going to walk in the Holy Spirit. I believe with all my heart that every child of God can live a clean, moral, self-disciplined life. Why? Because of the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. You hear that? The power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be self-indulgent. We don't have to live undisciplined lives. Why? The Holy Spirit in us is in us. We have, listen, we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us, and he is there to help us. You may be struggling tonight in some area. Lean upon the Lord. Lean upon the Lord. Law, listen, law will never do it. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to three steps. And No, 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 it's one step. Trust. You hear that? It's not four steps. It's not, you know, like beat my body and, you know, beat myself up with, you know, black my eye, like the thing, kind of the connotation is rigorous training. But, but listen, it's not, it's not us, it's us trusting and yielding our lives to God and the Holy Spirit will help us to walk in the spirit and we'll see the Christ's life. So think about this. Paul's saying that, that to run the race, there must be self-discipline. And we know that self-discipline comes from the walk in the Holy Spirit. It also involves removing hindrances from our lives. The Lord talked about if, you have, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, you know, you pull it out, etc. What he's talking about there is not mutilating our bodies. That's ridiculous. What he's talking about, it means that any relationship or practice or activity that leads to sin must be stopped. Anything that would lead to sin, you've got to get it out of your life. One thing that I hear almost nothing about from American pulpits is that we need to, we need to deal with sin in our lives, not just past sins, but we need to make sure that we keep sin out of our lives. And pastors need to be saying that. Lay aside, Hebrews 12 and 1 again, lay aside every weight and sin, every encumbrance. 1 Peter 2, 1 says, therefore, put aside things. Colossians 3 and 8. And now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, you know, all of that. Put these things aside in your life. And then self-discipline also involves avoiding behaviors that may cause someone to stumble. 
Now we're getting into to, to issues that are not forbidden in the Word of God. We're, we're dealing, we're, we're dealing with, with uh, issues that are preference now. But Paul in the book of Romans 14 is dealing with this. There may be things that are not sinful, but if it's going to cause someone to stumble, what the mature Christian will do is, I, I just won't do that. If it's going to damage someone's life, I just won't do that. See, that involves Holy Spirit discipline of our lives. And then self-discipline also involves, it may, listen, self-discipline in the area that Paul is talking about running with discipline. It, it may involve you leaving your comfort zone. To truly put God first. Missionaries have done this. People that people in business have done this. People that could have made millions of dollars, but yet they laid aside that because they heard God's call from heaven to a full-time work in the ministry, leaving the comfort zone. May involve self-discipline to do that. Matthew 4.20 says, Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Here were the apostles, the first apostles. They had certainly a very lucrative business. They had other people helping them. But yet they heard the voice of the master. They left the comfort of the business. They left the comfort of what they were doing. Why? They had heard the voice of the master, follow me. Uh, Matthew 4.22, Immediately they left their boats they, and their father and they followed him. What did the disciples do? Left their security. Left the comfort zone. They left to live by faith. God may call you to do that. God may call you to a level of faith that you've never experienced before. But notice this. He said to them later on these words, Matthew 19, 20, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Nothing we give up, no pleasure we give up, no thing that we give up for the Lord, ever, number one, ever goes unnoticed, and number two, it will never go unrewarded. There are rewards in this life that are temporal rewards that I do believe that God will bless his people with, but our greater rewards, come on, are up in heaven. And then self-discipline also involves, it can involve forsaking Success, worldly success, position, worldly accomplishments. Laying things aside to do what? To run effectively for Jesus Christ. Hebrews says this, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Do you see? And then Paul says this, but whatever things were gained to me, these have I counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things loss in view, in view of the surpassing value of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen, I want to read that again. What a great translation here. Paul says this, of everything I could have in the world, all the power, the privilege, the prestige, all the money, all the riches. Here's what he says. I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Hallelujah. That's a runner that's running to win. Now, let me finish. 
Let's look briefly at verse 25. Everyone competes in the games, exercises self-control in all things. Now notice these words, because now we're getting to motive. Now we're getting to motive. Now look at me here. Lord, I'll serve you. I'll serve you. Fill in the blank. Lord, I'll serve you if you'll heal me. I'll serve you if you give me more. I'll serve you if, 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 if. Wrong motive. We, we need faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What one has called, but if not faith. A faith that is so firm. A faith that is so consumed with Christ and his grace. That we say, Lord, our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we still won't serve your God. Paul says this. They do it to receive, hear this, a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown. Think about this. Eternal life is something that everyone, we stand on the same ground. It's all on the same ground. It's like the parable. Do you remember the parable that the guy that went out early in the morning worked all day? And the guy went out at midday and worked all day. And the guy came in the last hour and worked all day. And the Lord paid him all the same money. And then the one of the guys, we worked all day. Why would you pay him the same? That parable is really about the, the, the evenness of God's grace. Everyone is saved by the grace of God, by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, by grace, grace, grace. But I can tell you this, rewards there's nothing equal about rewards. Salvation, equal. Everybody's saved the same way. But I do not believe that we'll stand in heaven and everyone's going to get the same rewards. There are people that have served faithfully. I just came from the house of a dear lady that has been faithful to this church for 50 or 60 years. She is on her, uh, she's sick and she is, has cancer saying, here's my tithe. She is running strong. She is running faithful. But I'm telling you, for every one of that person, I've seen a thousand that flop around to churches. They don't serve Christ. They serve their belly. They serve their emotions. They don't even know God. Many of them don't even know God. They just say words about God. That lady knows God. And here, eternal life is even. Rewards are not even. There are people... They're going to receive rewards, great rewards in heaven. And it's not going to be based on money. It's not going to be based on what people thought about them. It will be based on their faithfulness to what God has called them to do. To Timothy 4.8 says this, In the future there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Our Lord Jesus said, I come quickly, hold fast to what you have, that no one will take your crown. Do you know the enemy's trying to take your crown right now? People that, that hardly can come to church regularly, the enemy's already got half their crown. See, the enemy wants to take our crown. Let's don't, let him, let, let's don't let him take it from us. Let's say I'm running for an imperishable crown. We're running with a purpose. Paul said, I don't beat shadow box. I don't run without aim. But he runs with a purpose, with a goal. 
And that goal is to please God. And that goal is to see Jesus Christ face to face. I want to end with this last part here, verse 27. I discipline my body, make it my aim, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be a castaway, not be disqualified. How could we be disqualified? How could we lose rewards? I close with four thoughts about this. Some people are not even qualified at all. Because if we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're not even in the race. There's going to be those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 that said, didn't we do wonderful works in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Sounds like the Pentecostal group to me. Did not we cast out demons? I don't know any Baptist folks casting demons out. I ain't never seen a Presbyterian yet do it. Spirit-filled folks, cast out demons in your name. Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Jesus said, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. There's no holiness in your life. There's no obedience in your life. You're just doing religious stuff. Listen, some people are not qualified at all. They're not even saved. They don't even know the Lord. You have to know the Lord. See, you have to know the Lord. And here's the second thing. If we're not abiding in him, D.L. Moody said this, God uses the man who is close to him. You hear that? God uses the one who is close to him. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You want to have an effective race? Get as close to Jesus as you can. And then sometimes we could be disqualified for just a lack of maturity in Christ. The Corinthians again. Let's think about them. Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual. This is 1 Corinthians 3 1. I could not, I could not speak to you as spirit, spiritual, but under carnal, even babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, but I want, you know, not with meat. Hitherto you were not able to do it. You know, there's a lot of people that they, Christians, that they can't, they're not qualified and they're being disqualified from really serving God because they've never really grown up. They've never really grown up to a place that, that I'm called to serve. I'm not called to come and sit. I'm called to come and sit and absorb and learn and get discipled. But I'm also called to serve. Come on, amen. And then I'll close with this last one. Some people are, are not are disqualified because they've just never prepared their own heart. They've never prepared themselves to serve. Timothy said, be diligent to present yourself to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but sanctified in the Lord in your heart, and always be ready to give an answer to the hope that's in you, Peter says. I close with this story. You've heard of the, Lithuanian, uh, the, the ship that was, Lithuanian ship that was sunk in 1915. There's a story behind that. There was a young man that would sent to go to, to be on that ship that was sunk. And he was, was going to go and look at some art for a rich man. 
And the rich man said to him, we, we, we've gotten word that, that the ship may be sunk. And he says what he said. He said, I heard that. And he said, so every day I have been sitting in a pail of ice. He said, and at first I can only do it for a few minutes. He said, now I'm up to two hours in case something happens. And, and his boss, the art dealer that wanted to go look at this valuable piece of art or pottery, he said, he laughed. He thought it was comical. He said, really? Are you, you're setting in ice every day? This guy would set in ice every day to train his body in case he was plunged in the icy Atlantic. And sure enough, the ship was bombed. And it was sunk. But guess what? Five hours later, they found that young man in those icy waters. And you know what? He was fine. He had trained himself. He had trained himself. Do you know, we need to train ourselves to serve God and to run this race with excellence. Amen. Father, how grateful we are tonight for your precious and holy word. Thank you, Father, for this race that you've called us to. We've heard you, and we, we trust in you. Oh, God, we believe in you. We believe that we are your children, and we are in this race. But I pray for everyone in this room. And, Father, I pray that, that we would run this race with great excellence, that we would run this race in such a way that we may win the prize and that prize is not earthly grandeur or glory. But Lord, that prize is to hear your precious voice. To say to each and every one of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Help us, Lord, tonight in this room, if there's sin or disobedience in any heart. Father, I pray at this moment that they would repent. I pray that they would surrender in this race, which could surrender completely to Christ. If there is any kind of secret sin, if there's any kind of disobedience, if there's anything that's trying to creep in and, and steal our crown from us, that tonight that we would be like Paul, we would say, I press toward the mark, and we would run to win. And so, Lord, give us the grace. You've already given us the grace to run to win this race. Thank you, Lord. I want you to stand with me. Let's just stand and pray just another moment here. Father, we worship you. Thank you, Father. And I surrender all. I surrender all. And all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And I surrender all. And I surrender all. And all to thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender. Now, just before we leave this place, I want you just to lift your hands up and just bring worship to our Lord Jesus. Would you do that tonight? Just bring worship to him. Just let your 
We won't tell you what to say. You know what to say. Just love him. Let the fruit of your lips giving thanks in his name. Father, we worship your son, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you for this so great redemption that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. We pray, God, that you'd fill us each with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with strength. Lord, help those that are discouraged right now in the race. And Lord, supercharge us with the mighty presence of your grace. We love you. We praise you. I pray you're a hedge of protection around your people. I pray, oh, Father God, that this night that you just fill us up with great joy because we're your children. And, Lord, we thank you for the joy of our salvation. And I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. And we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love each of you. God bless you. We will see you first thing Sunday morning. Bring a guest with you. We're, having a, we're going to have a great Sunday, we trust.